Welcome back to another episode of You Have My Interest, the show that helps you make smart moves with your money by giving you tips, tricks, and tools to help navigate your wealth journey. I'm your host, Evelyn Clark, Director and Finance Broker at Everland. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we are recording and you are listening today. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Evelyn, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. How exciting. I, it's We've just already hit it off. We're like really good friends already. <laughs> that's it. And you play golf. I do, yes. That's actually how I got into mortgage broking, funnily enough. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I how was working you, yeah. at Drummond Golf yeah. in, um, near Southland. And my boss, her uh, his wife had just started her own mortgage broking company. And he was like, oh, I know you're interested in finance. And at that stage, I was just studying. And he was like, why don't you go have a chat to her? And I did. And she gave me a job on the spot. So <laughs> I had a good reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what did you study? I studied finance. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I studied commerce, but majored in finance. And um, it taught me nothing about mortgage broking. Um, so it was really learning on the job that I got my experience from, I guess. Where'd you study? Yeah. At um, Monash in Clayton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, isn't yeah, it? Like when so. you learn, we talk a lot about um, studying and, and bits and pieces heading into it, but it's funny how a lot of the degrees people do at a younger age yeah. don't really correlate into what they're doing later, but there's For always sure. such an important thing of like then restudying again. Did you have to do like a course to then You've do mortgage do, broking as well? Yeah, there's a diploma. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess like the commerce degree was great because it taught me a lot of other things and you know, how to run a business and that sort of stuff is also part of that. Yeah. Um, but specifically to broking, there is a diploma or a cert for that everyone's got to do to be qualified. Yeah. How to buy a house. Let's do it. How the hell do you do this? <laughs> like I, I it's, it's a really funny one and one that I was always so keen to do an episode on. Yeah. Selfishly for myself, like I'm really lucky. I've been in a really fortunate position, extremely blessed that I was lucky to um, play footy uh, when I was younger. So I was um, lucky enough to have some savings up. Yeah market wasn't as uh, crazy as yeah. it is now and was lucky to purchase my first home. Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago and I still struggled through that process. I had no idea. I had a lot of support from um, my father-in-law actually at the time. Yeah. He sort of took me under his wing and I realised like if I didn't have him and I I would not have known what to do. Yeah. Like how important is it to have sort of good leadership and good um, oh, role yeah. models and people around you to be able to do this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Did you use a broker yourself or? No. So I, okay. at the time I had a um, manager yeah. who, you know, funny story. And right. I think this might, you know, get you, uh, I'm sure maybe this might've happened <laughs> to you, but I had no idea about mortgage brokers, what yeah. they did, who they were. Yeah. And I remember speaking to them and they used to come everywhere at the footy club because oh, really? yeah. they would see a lot of players. And yeah. I, at the time I literally had no idea. Mm. And I was having meetings with all these people. They're like, yeah, we can help you get a house. I was like, oh, cool. And I would have signed up loans with like all these different people. Yeah. And it actually proved like a massive problem because yeah. it was taking a percentage off everyone else. So there was like right. a bit of a blue um, with between all these mortgage brokers who had signed me up for loans. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah, it's not my proudest moment. That's right. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> anyway, how to buy a house. So this is a, a question, as I said, has been um, hugely uh, requested. So many people in our audience want to do. We've got yeah. Darcy in the studio today as well in this in this position. He's a 26-year-old handsome man. 27. 27-year-old handsome man. He had his birthday <laughs> recently and we had a great day. Didn't we? Do you have a Back great in day. April, that was Back nice. in April, oh, <laughs> yeah, it, was, wow. it was awesome. Um, and we are so interested to chat with you today. I really appreciate it on how to buy a house. I've got no idea, so I'm, uh, teach me, please. 
today. <laughs> Evelyn, what would you say? What's the most important things? We've broken it down a little bit today, but yeah. where do we where do we start? Yeah, so I typically sort of break it up into two components because you just asked me this before, but probably the most commonly asked question I get is how much do I need to buy a home? And that kind of stems into the deposit side of the things. So your savings towards the purchase. And then the other side of it is how much can you actually borrow, which is your borrowing capacity. Mm. So really breaking down those two pieces. And I think you've really got to start with deposit because your borrowing capacity could be fantastic based on your income. But if you haven't got any savings towards the purchase, that could limit you. And vice versa, if you've got a great deposit but no income, well, then you also can't buy. So they do go hand in hand. Um, but with the borrowing, uh, with the deposit side of things, you really only need a minimum of 5% now in Australia to get into your first home. That's really interesting. I, yeah. I, I swear for ages I thought it was 10% of, yeah. of a property and then obviously 20% is another for some that then locks out a few things, which you'll get to later. I'm yep. very wary of jumping too far ahead That's today because okay. I think we have to take this extremely sort of step by step. So deposit is obviously um, 5 or 10%, 20% of yep. the property's value. So yep. say, for example, for price. rounder numbers, yep. can we? What, what would be a, a number that you see frequently for maybe what a price would cost for a first-time buyer at the moment? What yeah. are we normally looking at? Well, I think if we kind of look at what we see in Victoria a fair bit, which is a lot of people either want to buy under 600 mm -hmm. because for first home buyers in Victoria there's no stamp duty up to 600,000 so it's really easy to use those numbers because you kind of got very limited additional costs on top of the purchase price that you need to factor in so for something like that on a $600,000 purchase $30,000 is going to be a 5% deposit wow which is not much and then no stamps You'll need to save about $5,000 or so for all of your ad hoc costs on top of that just to make sure that you're not going to be short. So realistically, you're looking at 35000 there. That's pretty incredible, isn't yeah. it? Like, would, Dust, would you have thought it was that much or that little? No, that, I always little. thought it would be much more than that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the reason that 20% gets thrown around, and, and I will jump into this because it's we get it asked all the time, pe people would have heard that they need a 20% deposit. And the only reason that that's the case is whenever you're borrowing over 80% of the value of the property, usually lenders' mortgage insurance will be added to the loan. So lenders' mortgage insurance protects the bank, not the client. And because they deem anything over 80% to be more risky, they add a mortgage insurance premium, which you have to pay, but it protects the bank. So it could be 2 3% on top of the loan. It just makes the loan a little bit more expensive on your end, but it means you can get into a property quicker. So like it's kind of been thrown around that you need this 20% deposit to avoid lender's mortgage insurance, but there's so many ways to avoid lender's mortgage insurance now that isn't just um, having a 20% deposit. Before we get into some case studies of this and we can actually throw some numbers around and see if we can work out what this might look like yeah. for people, we've been through deposits and what that sort of is. Let's work our way through a couple of these little bits and pieces so yeah. that when we're talking through it, people will understand what they are. So borrowing capacity, Yeah. what is that? It's effectively how much you can borrow from the bank. So it's based on your income, less all of your everyday expenses and less any ongoing liabilities. So your liabilities is things like your hex debt, uh, credit cards, car loans, anything that you currently owe money on or you've got an approved limit on like a credit card. You may owe nothing on the credit card, but if you've got a $10,000 credit card in your name, you can still spend up to $10,000 at any point in time. So the bank takes it as if you've got $10,000 worth of debt outstanding. Um, so anything that you've basically borrowed money on already, that's factored into your borrowing capacity as well. Wow. So then yeah. do you, what do you give the bank to get that? And do you just give them your like, what, six months or three months worth of your bank statement and they come back to you and tell you what it is? Yeah. So it kind of depends on how you're employed. So self-employed versus PAYG or salaried is a little bit different. Generally, it's based off 
your um, pay slips, yep. so how much you're earning as a base salary. And most people tend to know what their base salary is per annum or how much they get paid on a weekly or fortnightly basis. Then you've got things on top of that like your overtime or allowances that can all be factored into the calculator as well. But typically with stuff like that, because it's variable, the bank will shade it a little bit more. So they'll take 100% of your salary, but they might only take 80% of your overtime because it can fluctuate. Mm -hmm. And then you've got things like bonuses, commissions, all that sort of stuff is calculated into your overall income. With a self-employed client, it gets a little bit more complicated. They generally want to see your financial statements. So full accountant prepared income tax returns, financial statements, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. pre-approval. So would this sort of tie into a pre-approval as well? Say, for example, yeah. someone's got their, um, they've got a bit of a deposit. They've got like 30, 40, 50 grand saved up. Yeah. They're now looking to go to the bank to get their, see what their borrowing capacity could be. Yeah. You go there, you ask them, they give a number. Is that a pre-approval or is that a different process? Similar, yeah. So generally our pre-approval is a little bit more in depth. So for me, it's also about what does the client want to do? What are their future goals? And helping them to work out like why do you want to buy this first home? So we kind of take it a step back even further yeah. because- So this isn't a, with a bank though, this is with mortgage broker. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. And then what we'll do is once we've got a really good understanding of their scenario, how much they've got saved, because I'm a big believer in not putting all of your savings towards the purchase as well. Like yeah. if you've got 30,000 in the bank, you probably shouldn't be buying a $600,000 property yeah. like because you're going to have nothing left over at the end yeah. and you need to have these emergency funds and buffers and things in place. So once you've worked out that you're ready to go ahead, Generally, if you're working with a broker, they'll take you through potentially, you know, anywhere between four to 10 different lending mm-hmm. lending options and look at the different banks and help you understand the interest rates and all of that sort of thing. And then from there, they'll submit, it's kind of like a dummy scenario to the bank. So you'll say to the bank, this client wants to buy a property for 600K. They've got this much in the bank. This is how they earn their income. Here are all the supporting documents. So it's basically like you're submitting an application to the bank with everything except the property address. And then they come back and say, yep, that all looks good. You're pre-approved to, you're pre-approved to buy up to that figure. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. So then, for example, people don't have, like people might be listening to this going, fucking hell, I have to get all that stuff yep. there. But if yep. they're seeing someone like yourself, a mortgage yep. broker, or they're going to the bank, they'll more go, okay, you go in for a meeting, they yep. chat and they say, I need all this information, bring it in, yep. and you put it together. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's yep. better to give more <clears throat> than less to the mortgage broker because your mortgage broker knows all the policies with the banks. So they're going to be able to sort of weed through it and go, okay, well, what's actually going to suit you? What's going to give you the best interest rate if that's what's important mm. to you? And then it's not like they're going to give all that information to the bank. They'll give the bank what the bank needs to see. But if you miss something out, in telling a mortgage broker, like if you forget about a credit card or something like that, that can impact your pre-approval. So you really want to be really straight up and honest with your mortgage broker and don't be ashamed if you've got a couple of expenses in your bank statements that you were worried yeah, about. Like yeah, a couple, they're Darcy not going to- has a couple of cheeky ones in there. He, he <laughs> what are you referring to? Oh, I'm We've not seen sure. some interesting um, <laughs> like labels on debits and credits into accounts. I'm like, I'm not going into that Have too you seen much in there when there's a, there's a couple in there and there might be some different on both sides and purchases that they they come together with? Yeah, uh, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I actually had one client who um he was kind of like the- cause Gambling's not ideal, like when you're looking at of bank statements. It's not ideal in, in no, any sense. No, it's it really? not really. Yeah. But um, it's it's definitely a red flag from a lender perspective. And if you submit your bank statements, they've kind of got tools now that they can just pick up those types of transactions. So they can see like how much you're spending on that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, we had a client who basically housed all of the money from his friends for gambling. So he had this whole account that was like all the incomings and the outgoings. <sighs> and I'm like, that cannot 
go to a bank. No, like, <laughs> that's it's, a decline. It's like an underground <laughs> yeah. sort of uh, shark, yeah. loan shark or something. Yeah. How so. far back do they look? Typically three months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So get yourself clean three months before <laughs> you three months. start looking. Three months clean. Yeah. Um, interest rates and products. Mm-hmm. What is that? What's well, a product? Well, do you know what product you're on? No. Oh, what, is, what does that mean? I don't <laughs> it's know like, a product um, on. It's like variable fixed. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yes, I do know, actually. Yeah. So um, I'm actually in the process of refinancing yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Should come see you. <laughs> and, um, yeah, obviously what's happened at the moment with the interest rates in uh, Australia and Victoria especially, they've gone yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, refinancing. I was on a um, fixed loan. Okay. Which was really cool. You were cool. one of the 2%ers. Yeah, I yeah. was. So I had like 2% for a bit longer. Yeah. But I was really... I, I love um, certainty yeah. and I love knowing, okay, for the next two years, I've got to pay this versus yeah. the riskiness, the riskiness of going with variable, which, you know, they might have been paying lower before me, but now it went to a bit higher. So I'm a big sort of fixed guy, but the advice I've been given at the moment is to stick with variable mm-hmm. for the time being while things sort of look to yeah. um, play itself out. But I'm also... Um, opening up uh, with my loan, I'll have an offset account as yeah, well, okay, which I awesome. can put sort of funds into to bring my interest down, which yeah. we might go to later yeah, on. Yeah. Or do you want to talk about that we now? We can. Yeah, I mean, talk about it now we're for on sure. The topic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's probably a few things there. Fixed versus variable. Yep. So not everyone understands that either. It. So basically your interest rate, the main two types are fixed versus variable. Yep. Variable basically just means that the rate can change at any time. And over the last three or so years, we've seen a lot of rates moving upwards with the RBA cash rate movements. So Mm -hmm. some people might see that like on the news, the RBA announcement comes out every month. The banks will usually pass on whatever the RBA does because that's where they're getting their cost of funds from. What is the RBA? What does that stand for? The Reserve Bank of Australia. Yes. Yeah. That was a question for Darcy. I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that. (laughs) So it's basically the rate at the bank, the banks can borrow the funds from each other. So it's been really, really low probably about two or three years ago and now it's jumped up three to four percent higher than what it was. And that's why we've seen interest rates go up three to four percent from where they were. So when you were on the fixed rate, you might have been on two percent. Yeah. And now you're probably refinancing somewhere around six percent. Yeah. Yeah. So variable rates would have had all of those rate rises attached to them. Whereas a fixed rate, you would have had a set time that you elected to lock in that interest rate for. And as you say, it's great for budgeting purposes. It's really good. We see a lot of first-term buyers that get fixed rates because they're like, I just want to have certainty around it. Yeah. Yeah. And And I had that for like two years and I was like, I know for two years this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a lot of people come off renting and like renting is a set amount. So it's nice to kind of have that similar, I guess, way that you you finance your whatever it is that you're buying. Um, So... With the variable rate, though, you can get more benefits like the offset account, which is an account that attaches to the loan. So it's an everyday transaction account, but you can put a whole heap of money in that account. So literally all of your savings and it reduces how much interest you pay on the mortgage. So if you've got, let's say, I don't know, like a $500,000 loan and you put $100,000 in your offset account, you only get charged interest on the $400,000 difference. So it saves you a heap of interest if you can use it well. Yeah, yeah, which is really it's it's quite cool, isn't it? And that's why, um, yeah, that that mold at the moment is is such an interesting place. Mm. And just to slow it down, because if I'm going through this at the moment too, and still struggle to understand it, but the fixed, as we said, yeah. you get the certainty. It's awesome for like one to two years. You know, this is what I have to yeah. do. This is what I can do. And you can always add in more too. Like you can always you can, keep paying off. But you're, you're a little bit restricted with fixed rates. So typically, fixed rates will sit anywhere between ten thousand to twenty thousand 
extra per annum yep. that you're allowed to pay off. Okay, because they want they don't want to be paid off straight. They want exactly. to guarantee they've given yeah. interest. Because okay. otherwise they lose what they were going to be receiving or from you in an interest repayment for the next two years. Sure. If, if you pay it off, the bank misses out on all their guaranteed funds, right? Wow. God, so dude, with the variable rates, though, they? oh, they're sneaky. Yeah. Um, the variable rate, you can pay off whatever you want. Yeah, right. And there's no penalties. Mm. Yeah. There you go. So at the moment, would you be suggesting variable with the way the market is? I think so now yeah. because there's been a little bit more stability in the rates, whereas, you know, even this time a year ago, we were still having significant rate rises, whereas now there's been a lot of economists and people saying probably, you know, from March-ish next year, we'll see rates starting to come back down. So you don't really want to lock in a rate if they're going to come down because yep. you don't get the advantage of the decrease. Very cool. That's yeah, mm. that's really good insight. Um, what are some of the reasons that people get knocked back from um, loans, yep. the most that you see? Um, other than gambling? Other than, other than gambling. <laughs> um, I would say there's probably a few. Um, if people haven't ever looked at their credit score, that's probably one really good place to start. So you can you get a free that? well, you can get a free credit report once a year. Yep. So the most common one we use is Equifax. And if you just Google Equifax, you can download a free copy. It comes to you within 30 days or something like that. And you can get that every year. Um, it's important to check your credit report because if you've somehow had like uh, an inquiry put on your report that yep. wasn't you, it can impact your credit score. And it does happen. I've seen it before. Like we had a client who had a very, very similar name to her sister. Her sister took out a loan and it went on her credit report and it impacted her credit score. This, so This happened – I just remember this now. This yeah. actually happened to me Did it? when I – because I was trying to get a loan. Yeah. Like, no, you've got all these debts in your name. Yeah. And I was like, I've never bought anything ever. There you go. And it was like some completely other person that was in my yeah, yeah. my Equifax so it's important Didn't to do check my these things. Check. <laughs> um, and like we do them for every client. So we'll give a client a copy of their credit report before we even go down the loan path. Yep. Um, that's probably number one because if you've got a bad credit score or you've got a default or something like that, where I've seen clients that might have had like you know some sort of bill from months or years ago that they've moved houses, haven't yeah. paid the bill, and all of a sudden that company's taken out like put a default against it. Um, that kind of stuff can impact you, which you can always argue and get removed. Yeah. What do you um, have to put forward for a to get that? Like, do you have to just upload your name? It's and- usually just your like your personal de- like yep. name. And that is fine. Phone, it. email address. Yeah. Um, cool. Address, I think. Yeah. Fantastic. Driver's license number. Yeah. Do you need your driver's license number? That's really. I'm definitely yep. do that. And see how yeah. that's going. Um, so that's one, yeah. And Sorry. then, um, no, that's all right. No, no, you go. Um, yeah, just making sure your accounts are in good order. So that's just like, I know we kind of joked about gambling before, but generally if you don't manage your accounts well or you have overdrawn limits because you haven't transferred money in time or whatever it is, that kind of stuff looks bad to a bank because if they are going to lend you money, they want to know you're going to pay it on time. So just keep everything in order. Make sure you don't miss any direct debits. Make sure you don't miss... Re, like paying your rent on time or any of your bills, that kind of stuff can show up. Um, they'd probably be the main things. And then just making sure that you've got enough savings um, and stability of employment can be one. Um, sometimes if you've got people that kind of like hop around in jobs or maybe they're casual and they haven't been employed there for long enough, that can impact it. But yeah, I'd say it's more about how you manage your existing finances. That's awesome insight. One thing that I definitely do i have like an account at the moment that yeah. i have this automatic thing that i just 
refused to turn off for some reason and the account has no money in it so i just kept getting charged oh, like yeah. two dollars and i'm like fucking hell it's so annoying yeah it's something that is probably not good not one because it's two dollars but the other option is because it's like probably not good for my account as well um crazy when they go through your accounts and your statements and stuff he's really worried about his accounts <laughs> let's talk gambling no, I'm <laughs> um i'm just interested like if you're buying a house with a partner oh yeah They'd go through each of your individual accounts yeah. and then any shared accounts you have as well. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So you're just going to get it all in order. Well, so not every bank needs to see your bank account statements anymore. It used to be a really big thing where they like there was this period where banks all of a sudden, I think with responsible lending and like legislation, were being told to look at people's spending really, really mm-hmm. closely. Mm-hmm. Whereas now they're kind of just checking for does your salary credit match what it says on your payslip? Are you getting regular salary credits? Like all of a sudden that hasn't stopped and you've said that you're still employed. You're not overdrawing your accounts. And there's no, the other one is there's no um, undisclosed liabilities. So if you've got direct debits coming out for some sort of car loan, for example, that you you haven't haven't disclosed, that's a red flag. So um, yeah, they're the main things. They don't tend to go through as much the expenses as what they used to. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, from what you were saying before about, you know, like pay and working somewhere maybe consistently yeah. versus being a contractor yeah. or sole trader, is it hard, like I know there's a bigger process for doing it, but is yeah. there anything different that they'd have to do or anything you give advice to someone maybe that started their own business that are trying to still invest in their own property? Yeah. What, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, for sure. For anyone self-employed, typically your ABN needs to be registered for two years. Yeah. So that's the biggest hurdle that people have to get over. Um once they've done that, they've generally got at least one good year of financials sure. and then they can, you know, show the bank that. But, um, yeah, the biggest the biggest thing with self-employed is it's not based on what you're earning today. Like we're now in October. Is it October? It is. Oh, my goodness. My mum's birthday is today. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're in October now and what I'm currently paying myself as a self-employed client potentially is not what I was paying myself last financial year. So even if I've given myself a pay rise, for example – cheeky the banks go off last one actually <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> no so it works the other way whereas if you're um salaried and you all of a sudden had a pay rise in october but let's say in june you were on a much lower wage it doesn't matter because they go off literally today you can have one pay slip with your new pay rise uh, and it's fine yeah, yeah yeah got you that makes that actually is really interesting is that just because it's a bit riskier not riskier, riskier with the self-employed just, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and I guess if you are self-employed, like you can just increase your income, like yeah. So if you're making, if you're money, making enough yeah. money, yeah, yeah. Bit hard if you're not. Um, whereas, uh, believe me, <laughs> very good. Um, saving for a deposit, we've touched on buying yep. capacity, pre-approvals, interest rates and products, reasons people get knocked back. What is mortgage insurance? Yeah. And what is stamp duty? These are two things that yeah, come okay. up and questions are a lot we got from people when they put out there. They're like, okay, well, I've got my. You know, I've got my pre-approval, yeah. I've got this, but what the fuck is mortgage insurance and stamp duty now? Like you get slapped with these two other big sort of yeah, payments that you have for to pay. Sure. Well, stamp duty is effectively the tax that you're paying on buying the property. Yeah. It goes straight to the state revenue office. <laughs> yeah. um, Bloody hell. And then you got to pay tax when you sell sometimes as well. So yeah. we get hit at both ends. We do here in Victoria a lot, don't yeah. we, as well, more than any other state? Yeah. Yeah. Victorian stamp duty is the highest out of all the states. Is it the highest in the world? Oh, I wouldn't even know. Okay, yeah. let's go. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. Let's go. Highest in the world. <laughs> yeah. It has to be. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically in Victoria, it's about 5.5% of the purchase price on top of the purchase price. So, And you can get that 
factored into your loan though as well, kind can't you? Of. Or no? It depends. Okay. So let's say we we'll use really let's round use numbers. Let's use round numbers, yeah. Yep. So you're buying for a million dollars. Yep, that's one. Your stamp duty is going to be 55 grand on top of that. Okay. And then um, your basically deposit? you still can't. So you got 5% deposit? Yeah, but you is... can't go over that 95% mark oh, from a loan okay. amount. So you've got okay. to have the 5% deposit plus your stamp duty. Got you. Yeah. But could you get a loan for, say you could get a loan for 1.05. Yeah. So you got a loan for that. Yeah. Then you could include it in? Not really. Okay. You'd have to have a guarantor or someone. What so, about 10% if you've got 10%? Yes. But if you've got 10%, then half of that 10% just goes towards the stamp duty. So you end up borrowing 95% anyway. Got you. Yeah. Okay. So it's only if you're Borrowing the 5%, it's harder to get the stamp duty into the loan. You actually have to pay that with the cash. In a roundabout way, whatever you have available towards the property, you can kind of then calculate back what your minimum loan needs to be. Got you. So if you've got 100 grand, then you know a portion of that needs to go towards the stamp duty if that's required. And then the remainder of that can be available as your deposit. Say you want to buy for a million dollars. People have got 100,000. So they're like, yep, I can do that. 55,000 of that 100 grand is already gone to yeah. stamps. So you've only got 45 grand left towards the purchase and that's not even 5% of a million. So you might have the borrowing capacity for that in terms of your income is strong enough, but your deposit isn't actually, unless you've got someone like a guarantor, like we probably should touch on. Let's touch on that now. Yeah. We've heard a lot about this word what guarantor. the hell is a guarantor? <laughs> what the hell is a guarantor? I've heard a lot about this, um, a couple of... Um, my friends are really lucky to yeah. have guarantors. So mm-hmm. normally it's a family situation. Yeah. Yeah, usually it is. So yeah. a guarantor is – a parent is probably the most common one we see. Someone who's got an existing property, they may or may not have a loan on their property. That's okay. But there just needs to be enough value in that property that the bank takes that as security as well as your property that you're buying. So all of a sudden now the bank's got potentially one and a half properties that they're securing just your loan against. So before where we said you wanted to buy for a million dollars and you can't go above a 95% lend, well, if you've now got a million dollars that you're purchasing plus you've got a $500,000 security that Mom the parents place, are giving, yep. now the bank's got 1.5 mil that they can lend against. Mm-hmm. So you can borrow a million because the risk is lower to the bank. So it's it can be a little bit confusing, but basically so long as there is enough value in that property that they're giving over as well, you can borrow 100% of your purchase price. Wow. Um, there's risk to that as well, though, yeah. obviously, too. So if the if things were, you know, touch wood went the wrong way, yeah. then the bank would actually be able to come after that guarantor's property yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So the good thing about guarantor loans is that they're capped against the guarantor's property. So usually what will happen is where we talked about that 80%, 20% yep. deposit thing before, usually the 20% deposit portion will be lent against the guarantor's property and the 80% will be lent against your against your property. So that means that the debt outstanding on the guarantor's property isn't any more than 20%. So they can't come after the full value of the house. Okay. But the guarantor might have to, like you've got to have really good conversations with your parents around this or whoever it is because they may have to cover some of the repayments for you during that period if something were to go sour. Um, and the other one that we see is a guarantor might be lending to a couple and what happens if something happens with the relationship and that couple, you know, separate and then the house, mm. like there's a guarantor wrapped up in that as well. So there is definitely risk, um, but it can save you an awful lot in lender's mortgage insurance because you don't have to pay lender's mortgage insurance on guarantor loans. Yeah. Yep. That's a, a massive benefit, which mm. is, we've, we've spoken about earlier. Yeah. Um, what about buying 
in as a single versus buying couples? Yeah. How would you describe, like, what do you see more of? We probably see mm-hmm. more first home buyers that are single, I reckon, really? than we would couples. Um, I mean, we get a lot of both, but I think, yeah, obviously your borrowing capacity is going to be more if you've got two incomes. Yeah. But at the same time, if you've got two incomes and a lot of existing debt, well, then it may not be. So, and then typically the, the more that you borrow, the bigger deposit you've got to have as well. So that's the good thing about buying as a couple is you can kind of get into the market on a more like a higher valued property property sooner. Um, but there's no reason why people can't buy on their own. The, my first property, I mean, I've got two, but both of mine I bought by myself. But like you don't have to start with a huge property value either. I see a lot of first-time buyers that are probably buying, you know, $400,000 investment properties. They could be living at home with mum and dad still, so they don't have a lot of outgoings with rent and stuff like that. And um, they want to put their money towards something that's going to grow in value. And then they look down the track at, all right, where's our next step? And maybe at that stage, you do have a partner. So you can then buy the next property together. But yeah, there's, you can do either. It's super interesting, isn't it? Like I, again, don't have a, a great um, wealth of knowledge around these topics, but I do mm. speak to some mates regularly about this sort of stuff. They're looking to buy their first home. And I always say like, you've got to go chat to a bank or mortgage broker yeah. about this. Cause I swear, you actually have enough to yeah. buy a house, but people just don't realise it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see that a lot? Yeah, for sure. And I think that comes back to people just getting stuck on this 20% idea. Yeah. Um, so 20% you know, deposit. 20% deposit. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, we're so lucky in Australia with the schemes and concessions and all these things that are available to us to get into the market sooner. Um, so, yeah, if you've, like, you probably do have. I mean, thirty. We spoke about the thirty thousand earlier. Like, probably people probably didn't realize they could buy with thirty thousand dollars in their pocket. No, that's yeah, hectic. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> your if you're happy to talk about your first um, yeah. purchase, for example, I'm happy to chat about mine yeah. too. How did yours work? Well, I bought an investment property first because I didn't want to, with my borrowing capacity, I would not have been able to buy the type of property that I wanted to in the location that I wanted to live in. Yeah. And so, I, it was that notion of like buy what you can afford, rent yeah, where you want to live. Exactly. Sort of yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I kept renting where I was. Um, I live super close to the beach and I did not want to give that up. I didn't want to be one of those people that buy like two hours out of Melbourne just so that I could, you know, buy something that I could live in and take advantage of these grants and schemes and things like that. Um, and so I bought a property in Geelong um, for just over $400,000. Yeah. And that went up in value pretty quickly because Geelong went through a little bit of a boom, I guess, as most properties did over COVID anyway. And that was an investment? You were renting that out? Yeah, that was rented out from day one. Um, And then as that property grew in value, I actually used the equity, so the difference in what I bought it for and what it had increased in value to. You can lend against that. So say, for example, it was 400 that you bought it for. It went up to 600,000. There's 200 grand in there that you can use. Yeah. So I borrowed some of that money out of the property to help me with my deposit on my next property. And that meant I didn't have to pay lender's mortgage insurance also on my second property. Because you're like your own guarantor effectively? Kind of, yeah. And I had with my savings and with the equity put together, I had that 20% deposit. So yeah, you can do that with property. And that's why for me, it was really important to buy something that was a house with land because an apartment wasn't going to go up 200 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, I think it was a while ago now, but my first um, property that I purchased and I've only got one property so that's the first one and, and the latest one but it was um, it was similar sort of discussion to yeah. you I um, was living at home mm. at the time and 
um, I had sort of saved up a, a bit of money. I had a, a deposit, sort of saved, had no idea what I wanted to do. I wanted to buy like a nice, beautiful apartment off the plan. Yeah. Um, and I got some really incredible advice. I still, you know, get to this day from my father-in-law, yeah. who's always, you know, he's a European guy. He's quite sort of blunt with how he says things. And he's like, You've, you can't buy with your heart. Yeah. you got to buy with your head. Yeah. And it more meant that when you're getting into the market early, you've got to buy the shit ugly stuff yeah. that other people don't want totally. um, versus those premium, beautiful, nice packages that you see like on the posters. Oh, yeah. And they're all, um, don't get me wrong, those things are great as well, yeah. but you're probably paying a premium for it because it's more wanted. And yeah. I, yeah, we went out to this property. It was in um, McLeod, which is an area just uh, probably 30 minutes out of Melbourne. Yeah. And um, I hated it. I was like, this is so ugly. <laughs> it sucks. But there was it was a, a block. It was dirt. It was land. Um, bought it. And actually lived in it. Oh yeah. So I was. Um, it was my first time, but I was living in it. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was my own property, and yeah, lived in it for a while. And geez, the shit I copped. Yeah. From my mates for living out there. Like at yeah. the, McLeod's a beautiful area now, but yeah. at the time it was a long way from where I was. I was living yeah. in the inner city. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't as probably desirable for my mates at the time. They were mm. all living sort of in apartments around the club, and I sort of had a 30, 30 to forty minute commute every morning. But. Yeah. You know, I'm really lucky that I had that advice at an earlier age. Mm, totally. Well, so what you've alluded to there is you can live in the property for a period of time and then you can often get... Did you pay stamp duty on it? Uh, I did, you know? yeah. You yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, I paid stamp duty. But when I... Um, the, the benefit, again, of, around capital gains tax. Yeah. So, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, there was some stuff around there that when I... You know, I've lived in that property for a long time. And yeah. um, when I, you know, sell that, looked at selling that property, I'll sell that tax-free because it's my primary place of residence. Yeah. Well, it was, was um, then, yeah. until I moved out. But within a six-year yeah. period, you can still sell it. Yeah, um, correct. Yeah. For that. So, yeah, that's the reason we did that. And, um, yeah, then we'll look to my wife and I will look to then, you know, sell our property yeah. and buy a family home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, that's served its purpose for you, which was you probably I, got some capital growth out of that as well. Yeah. So, it was never something as well that I was like, I think, the part we we're talking about before around rent, uh, like I never saw myself living in that area long term. Yeah. But it was like, hey, we can do this for the time being for five years, yeah. and then go back to where you want to go. And that's no like McLeod's a great spot. It just mm. probably wasn't where I wanted to be at that specific time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's a it's a really hard one, isn't it? Because you it see, hard, do you yeah. see a lot of people coming going? I want to live in this area that you love. But yeah. It's like, and I think a lot of people do settle for apartments <clears throat> because of that. And you know, if you look at all of the the way that property values have increased or changed over time, um, apartments is not going to be the one that like apartments tend to stay pretty stable in terms of their value. And off the plan is one of those tricky ones as well because often you're buying it at a premium because it's brand new and it's as you say like you get this beautiful brochure and all that sort of thing. But also the building quality doesn't tend to be as good with an off the plan property as well. So. You kind of, yeah, you don't get that that growth potential out of it. Um, and so you've kind of got to look at what's going to work for you. Like some people just want to live in their apartment in the inner city and that's 100%. absolutely fine. Like if that's what your goal is, then do that. But if you want to make property a vehicle for you to help you down the track with something else, well, then that's probably not going to be the type of asset that you want to buy. For sure. And it's it's so funny you say that because I'm having that discussion with my, with my mum at the moment. Yeah. She's like looking at... Um, She's look, like looking at buying a property now. Like, yeah. you know, she's at her first sort of home, like she sold a property, you know, years ago. Yeah. But looking to get back into the market. Mm. And I'm like, oh, we should do this and buy this land and do that. And she goes, yeah. Dylan, like, 
that's so fucking hard. Yeah. So where Dylan, that's so hard. Like I don't really have the energy to do that. Like yeah. I actually just want to live in an apartment. Yeah. And I'm like, good on you. Let's do that. Do man. that. Like, that yeah. sounds perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. Something yeah. that's easy um, to go. So yeah, it's not like you don't have to be always dominating. You just no. want to do what is easiest for you and where you're at in your life, I suppose, at mm-hmm. that time. Um, that whole thing, Darcy, that um, you're hearing now about like buying dirt versus like, you know, the land versus apartments. Have you looked into that sort of at all? No, not a heap. No. Yeah. Well, we're just talking well, about it now. A, I like it. Yeah. yeah. There's a really famous quote and I think it's Warren Buffett and I could completely butcher it, but I'll have a go. <laughs> I do that a lot. Um, so it's something like buy land, they're not making any more of it. So the yeah. whole notion is, you know, they're always going to be able to make more apartments and you can fit more properties into a smaller block by yeah. going up and all that sort of thing. But a traditional, you know, white picket fence house, you can't make any more of that once you run out of land. So that's the whole point of the more land you own, the more value effectively you can mm. potentially create from it is kind of where that notion of capital growth comes from. Love that. Um, we spoke about uh, our situations then. Yeah. In types of investments, um, can we talk about that, like buying an investment property versus buying your first home? Yeah. I know we sort of touched on it, our situations. You, yeah. We did the opposite to each other. But what do you find is a good way to do it um, and yeah. what are you seeing a lot at the moment? I still think a lot of people want to buy owner-occupied properties first or their first home to live in because of the government incentives to do so. Yeah. So so in Victoria, you don't pay any stamp duty up to 600 grand purchase price. Mm. And then between 600,000 and 750,000, there's a sliding scale. So you still get a reduction on what anyone else, an investor or a second home buyer would pay on stamp duty. That's already going to save you, you know, anywhere from sort of 15,000 to 30,000 in stamp duty. So that's a significant amount from your deposit that you get to retain in your pocket. Um, if you are a first-home buyer. And depending on what state you buy in, there's different rules for that. Um, The first-home buyer's grant used to be something that was really common in all the states as well. They've just gotten rid of it basically for um, owner-occupied purchases in Victoria where you're buying an established property. So the first-homeowner's grant is a $10,000 grant. And I'm talking Vic because we're in Victoria. Um, But it's a $10,000 monetary grant that you get from the government for building your first property. Wow. So that adds to your deposit. But so that's like a home and land package. Yeah, or that type like, of thing. Yeah. yeah. So if for something like that, you're getting no stamp duty up to six hundred thousand, plus you're getting ten thousand from the government. That's adding to your deposit. So that's why you see people tend to buy places to live in first, as opposed to investment properties where you have to pay full stamp duty regardless, and you don't get any grants or concessions from the government. So it's more costly to buy an investment property. And the other part of it too is with investment properties, you can only borrow up to 90%, not 95 So all of these little things make it a little bit harder to buy an investment property, um, which is why you tend to look at most people buy an owner rock first. Yeah. But that's where I think you've got to go down the path of, all right, so why do I actually want to buy a property? And if it's your mum, for example, that wants to buy an apartment in a particular area because that's where she wants to live, then don't worry about like the rest of it. Just do that. Whereas... Yeah, it just depends on what your end goal is. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Like, and I think that's like even from today, I'm thinking about in my own situation now, going like, what do we want to do? do we yeah. Like, and I've got a young young family. It's like I probably want to have like a a house that's, you know, we're going to be out for the next sort of 10, 15 years versus yeah. maybe like Dars, your situation. I don't know what you're doing at the moment, thinking out loud. <laughs> Neither like, do I. <laughs> <laughs> but what's like, is it like maybe looking at an investment property or like thinking out loud now, like what's what have you thought out of just having this chat now? Oh, for me, like, it's always been, it's not even been in the picture because mm. it's just like the 
the way people talk, like coming out of COVID and market booms and all that sort of stuff. It's just been like, oh, people my age, like you're never going to get your first property. Yeah. Like it's just not even a thing. The media doesn't help. Yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, but it's crazy when you hear like what everyone's saying about like how it does sound a lot. Yeah easier than like even we're making it out to be today it's yeah yeah Yeah. i mean there's lots of like there's lots of bits that go into it other than what we've spoken about but i think the moral of the story is like don't underestimate the ability to be able to buy you've just got to sit down and have a conversation with someone a mortgage broker a bank i'd probably suggest mortgage broker over bank because they can give you a really sort of independent assessment and well, not you can just... look at different loans versus just their Correct. loan they're offering yeah. yeah yeah and they can explain to you how the world kind of works in terms of the um the loan space whereas a bank's kind of just going to give you what they do yeah yeah and we'll, we'll have all the details in the show notes guys if you want to check out um her business and the podcast we'd, we'd highly recommend that for sure because it's been very very interesting today we're not done yet mind you um <laughs> i really like that part as well about like the property stuff and that i think one message today is around that whole point of it, it is there is ways for everyone to get into the market but yeah. it might just not be exactly what you want at the beginning mm. and that's i think that's probably the bit where even i couldn't get my head around that yeah going like well i'm not sure if i want to live x away from my mates and yeah. do all these things but the sacrifice if you want to sacrifice and have those long-term gains yeah maybe sure. that could be a way but if you want to just live in the city and buy an apartment like that's totally cool too yeah. it's totally what you're up to that's it yeah i definitely agree with that i think not comparing your situation to other people's is really important too like so hard though have, isn't it because like i'm always, always out and people, people say about. this shit and you're yeah. like oh fuck you like that's yeah. so i wish i was doing that but we used to always <laughs> have this like joke as mortgage brokers around how do you get clients well you go to a barbecue and someone will tell you about their interest rate or they're buying a house and that's how people got clients yeah and it's actually so true like everyone talks about houses yeah, yeah. no i yeah i agree and it's it's one of those things Darcy, you're saying then i'm a little bit like you in the sense of as soon as it comes up, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to talk about this. I hate it. I'm like, I'm not in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm going to find something out that I really regret and it's going to annoy me. I think it's really interesting though because I reckon you get to an age and like all your friends will start looking at buying houses yeah. and there is a lot of pressure on people that think they have mm. to buy a house. Yeah. It, it, like you don't have to. Like people no. are happy to rent. Like yeah. everyone's got different... Um, you know circumstances people want to travel like you don't yeah. have to buy a first house but this is just how you go about it if you do want to buy one yeah for sure yeah, and i think I totally like agree. maybe a teach me please other way of other in, like i know there is so many other ways people invest i've got a mate who reckons he will never buy a house he mm. only rents and invests in like stocks yeah and i'm like that's cool but yeah. i just don't know anything about it so i'm probably going to more stick to yeah. this situation that i know but for completely sure. agree like there's so many other ways to do it this is not a you have to do this and yeah. you're, you're you're a loser if you don't. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely not that case. Well, um, I think just touching on that point, there's um, there's a really famous chart called the Vanguard Index and you can Google this, um, but it shows you historically, I think it's over like 20 years or so, all of the different asset classes. So Australian property, Australian shares, uh, international shares, literally anything that you can possibly invest your money into. And it shows over that over the course of that time, what has performed the best? If you've just put your money in it and left it alone and shares have actually been the best performing asset. Oh, don't tell us that. <laughs> oh, God. But what it, I guess what it doesn't show you is that like you can make money out of property in other ways than just putting 
Like if you just put your money in there and left it alone, like you can add value to the property. You can build on it. You can subdivide it and put two houses on it. Like there's so many different ways that you can make money with property other than just the capital growth in, you know, the bland. For sure. That's actually um, what, uh, with the block that I purchased those years ago, Yeah, it was a larger block a house at the front. So we got plans and permits to put one yeah. on the back. Yeah. But it's just crazy at the moment with like how expensive building is yeah. and everything like that. It's just not a, um, a possibility at the moment to, yeah. to do those things. So yeah, there's, there's so many bits and pieces. And I think that's the hardest thing I feel like with this whole situation mm. is choices. Yeah. And it's like, there's so many different ways to go about it. Mm. It's just working out again, having those conversations with friends, family, getting as much um, advice from yeah. mentors in your circles that you can to work out what's best for you. And obviously chatting to professionals like yourself. I remember um, I was really lucky to chat to a lot of like teammates that had done certain things, mm. good advice and bad advice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, getting your own stuff and the, the part that, people probably hate the most is you you do have to do a little bit of your own research and and do it yourself to be really comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Biggest takeaways. Um, I think I could do this off the top of my uh, head for for sure. I think the biggest one was, biggest ones is like the 5%, 10%, 20% deposits, knowing that you can actually have a 5% deposit. I didn't know that Mm -hmm. at all. So yeah, working out your deposit, what you can afford, um, getting your all your information together, all your financial receipts, um, your payments over the last three months, taking that to a mortgage broker or to a bank to work out what your borrowing capacity would be. Getting a pre-approved loan. Mm -hmm. Um, So then knowing what you can afford your payments versus what your deposit is. And that will give you a bit more of a number about what you can actually afford. Um, Interest rates and products, as we spoke about earlier, there's different ones there. Looking at more at the moment with how the how the market is, it'd be more appropriate to go down, you know, depending on the advice, yeah. um, more appropriate to go down that variable loan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going pretty well at the moment. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, oh. Yeah, I've been, I've been listening. Don't worry. <laughs> um, mortgage insurance we spoke about, stamp duty we spoke about. There is ways to combat them. Yep. But if you're doing that, I'm going to leave that one with you. If you go see people that actually know what they're talking about <laughs> there. Uh, what are reasons people get knocked back the most? We said it, whether they're default on their loan, um, Gambling, <laughs> guys, get off the punt and girls if you're punting too. And um, Equifix, Is Equifax, that- Equifax, yeah, Equifax. Go and check out Equifax and get a credit rating. Um, it sounds so US. I didn't realize that that yeah. was like a thing that we even did yeah, in Australia. It, it used to not be a thing, but now the banks actually rely on credit reporting a lot more. There's a lot more detail in credit reports than there used to be. Yeah. So it'll actually have your repayment history for the last twelve months on any of your accounts in your credit report. So the banks, I think, are moving to a, p- a place where they won't ask for bank statements anymore. They won't even ask for um, like pay slips and things, uh, you know, in the long term because they'll be able to obtain all of that data electronically through things like Equifax. So, yeah, it, I think it's becoming more important. Jeez, okay. Yeah. Let's get on to that, Dars. Um, <laughs> and then we spoke about singles versus couples. Like it's possible both ways um to purchase properties but working out what's best for you where you want to go and i think even like from chatting today the biggest thing that nearly has hit my mind is actually just working out what you want to do first then it's possible to make it happen either way yeah for sure i think people probably underestimate a little bit that question like what do i actually want to do yeah because as you said like property is such a buzzword that Everyone knows that they want to buy a house and there is pressure to buy a house, but you just got to kind of take a step back and go, okay, what do I want? Yeah. Yeah. 
Love that. Um, and last but not least, we spoke about the different ways, buying investment properties versus buying your first home, yep. living in it, all those bits and pieces, which are, are super, super um, knowledgeable. I've got a few listener questions before we wrap up, mm-hmm. if that's okay. Ollie Hugh said, is there a good way to buy a home with others and still use the first homeowner's grant? So I'm not sure if he's talking about maybe a partner or even like a group of friends. Yeah. I've had a, I've had a group of mates that have actually bought properties yeah, together. Yeah, you can. Um, as well. Yeah. Um, so the first homeowners grant, like it'll depend on what state you're in as to whether or not you'd qualify for that anymore, because some of the bank, uh, some of the states are pulling out of the actual the grant, which is the monetary deposit that you get mm-hmm. from the government. But the first home, there is another first homeowners incentive, which is the first home. Oh, they've changed the name. It's the it's the home buyer guarantee. Yep. And that allows you to buy with that 5% deposit with the government acting as a guarantor rather than your parents. That is, um, they've expanded the criteria on that. So you have to be Australian citizens or permanent residents. So that's probably one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. There's an income cap, depending on um, whether you're buying single or with um, you know, a partner or whoever it is. There's a cap on the purchase price, depending on the state, but you can now buy with friends. So wow. you used to only be able to buy by yourself or with a de facto partner. Now you can buy with siblings, friends, anyone. That's but you awesome. do have to you do have to live in it. it has to be owner occupied. Really? Yeah, yeah, right. So you could buy it with like three mates. You'll have a room each. And yeah. 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 You want to buy a house together? Oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> you have to be mates. That's it. <laughs> so, they didn't say acquaintances. They didn't say acquaintances. Yeah, um, cool. Brooke Waterbuild said, how do you know what area to best buy in? Is this a question no, that a mortgage brokers can help out with as uh, well? Probably not. Yeah. It's probably more of a buyer's advocate question. So a buyer's advocate's kind of like the real estate agent for the buyer. So yep. they work on the buyer side only um, and they kind of match you with properties. Um, they'll, they'll do all the research on the suburbs for you, all of that sort of thing. Um, but they can give you really, really good advice on, you know, what properties are selling for in particular areas, how properties and areas have performed over time. But I'd even just get on things like realestate.com and just look at the historical research in those suburbs. Mm. Um, ideally, in terms of like just some general things that you can think about, uh, areas that are being invested in by the government. So if there's infrastructure going up, like if there's I keep talking to this one about my with my partner. He's investing in Melton at the moment because there's a hospital being put into Melton. So yeah, that's wow. going to bring a whole heap of nurses and doctors and all those types of people that need to live out there to work in the hospital. Um, so anything where you can see that there is money being invested in a suburb is typically going to have something that's going to have a bit of capital growth in it. Really, and you've got yeah. like your example before around Geelong. Not the fact that yeah. Geelong's always been a great suburb, but yeah. the fact that after COVID, people were living there now, yeah. loving, like, you don't have to live in Melbourne. Yeah. You can move a bit further out. Like, Geelong just went absolutely exactly. crazy. They moved the spirit of Tassie to Geelong as well, so it came became a bit of a hub where, like, if you were hopping wow. on the spirit, you know, yeah. you had to go down there as well. So yeah. You get on yeah. the spirit heaps. I love the spirit. Yeah, hey. yeah. He loves the spirit. There you he go. rides it every weekend. <laughs> Um, that's really that's never really, been on the spirit. Uh, <laughs> that's super interesting. Around um, education as well. Obviously, you've got your own um, website and your own podcast. Yeah. Do you go into a bit of that stuff? Or actually, a question mm. as well is the mortgage broking. Yeah. A question as well is obviously you do mortgage broking. Yeah. With your business, do you have buyers advocates? We there? don't actually, but I 
have a number of buyers advocates that I would refer to. Yeah. So sure. that I'd know that are like key people in particular areas because generally buyers advocates are really good at knowing an area. So if you want to buy in Bayside, I can tell you who to speak to. If you want to buy in the northern suburbs, I can tell you who to speak to. Great. Yeah. And, and just for people out there as well, just to break down a buyers advocate, normally they cost like a fee. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, so you just build that like, you know, it might be X amount of $1,000, but yeah. realistically by using them, you might get access to properties that you wouldn't have beforehand. So it sort yeah. of works in that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got to have extra money obviously saved for it because it can't be factored into your loan or anything. It's got to come out of your savings. But um, they will also have access to off-market properties. So things that are being sold privately that don't show on realestate.com. So that's basically word of mouth from them having relationships with real estate agents. An agent can call them and say, this property's, I've just spoken to this owner. They want to sell their property, but they don't want to put it online. Um, so come and have a look at it. And it could be one for your client if you're a buyer's advocate. Another one that's um, interesting in that sense too, instead of if you don't want to sort of like approach a buyer's advocate and pay them mm. for it, is like actually just going to your local real estate agents yep. and saying, like, hey, I've got... This is my budget. This is what I'm looking to buy. Yeah. And when properties come up, they just call you. Oh yeah, they absolutely do. Yeah, and they'll you know they'll put me on your um, uh, you will email cop, database. You will cop emails <laughs> and messages for the rest of your life. Yeah. Every day. Absolutely. But you might get a you might get a house. We've out of been it. looking for a commercial property just to lease for our business, yeah. and I must have clicked something because I'm just getting bombarded. Holy by these shit, man! And I'm like, I still get. I didn't even want to go in that area. I think once, <laughs> like when I was living in Sydney, I like. As a joke, Juz and I went through like a property that was worth like $20 million and like we were just going through it. And now yeah. I'm like on a database of like Sydney's listing like, like double bank. Like premium Yeah, like, mate, this is like $30 million. I can't yeah. afford this house, yeah. but they just send them to me all the time. Love it. So, yeah, it's good. It makes me um, feel good anyway. <laughs> um, I've got a question before we wrap up. With like working with a mortgage broker, is, that, is there a fee with that or do you – is it like the bank that incurs that fee? So mortgage brokers are actually completely free for customers. So we get paid through the bank. It's yeah, kind so of if like someone a, comes to you. Yeah. They say this is what we want to do. You yeah. do all that work, and then the bank. The bank pays us. You get so a once off your the loan, loan settles, we get a commission, um, and it effectively comes out of the bank's profit. So it doesn't add to the cost of your interest rate. There's no like hidden fees or anything wrapped up in it. It's kind of like a referral fee. So, you know, the, the banks. Now there's so many banks um, and so many brokers writing loans that the bank may not have got that, got that loan otherwise. So, yeah, some brokers, though, will charge a fee. So you can obviously ask that to the broker up front. Um, but 99% of brokers don't. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm. That's good. And banks? Banks don't charge loans? Uh, banks don't banks charge Banks will either. have, like, some of them do have upfront fees um, or they'll have ongoing annual fees and that all comes out at the start of the loan anyway. But that's... There's no difference to that whether you're going through a broker or a bank. The fee structure is the fee structure. That's huge. There yeah. you go, guys. That I, I think, if anything, that should sort of inspire people that maybe are looking to do this to go and have a chat with a mortgage broker or a bank. It's free. Get a bit of a health check. See where you're at. You mm. might learn where, what you need to do, where you want to go. It'll just yeah. give you a bit of peace of mind of what is actually achievable. Absolutely. We've gone through those tips. Um, if you want to see any more, have you got anything else? Obviously, your website, evelyn.com.au, mm -hmm. and your podcast, You Have My Interest, which is very... It's a great name. It's funny. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> funny. Good. It's very funny. Um, yeah, it was the same with yeah, the business is a bit of a play on words as well. So yeah. Well, where can people where else can people sort of find um, probably everything. Instagram would be the other one. Yep. Um, which is just Evelyn underscore finance. I just got that. Did you? Yeah. 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 Um, Keep up till. Keep I just, up. I just, <laughs> 
It's funny because sometimes I get people calling me like from wherever they could Evelyn? be. Evelyn? Conveyance. Evelyn. Oh, yeah. It's very funny. And they, they're like, oh, hi, Evelyn. I just needed to, oh, your business name is Evelyn. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's very yeah, good. So, I really like you that. You like it, though. Yeah, I really <laughs> like that. That's really, really good. Um, but, yeah, inter- Instagram is good because I'll usually put up um, like little tips and tricks and things like that yeah, outside really. of the podcast. Hey, I'd love to continue um, our friendship. We should, um, after this one, I'd think there's going to be so many questions to ask on, on more stuff. I know that we both have them now, but I've honestly learned a lot today um, on everything and would love to yeah, keep yeah. you in the in the uh, in the friendship group Absolutely. and we'll get you back on soon would love to thank you thank you so much really appreciate it and guys if you want to check out more stuff all the links will be in the show notes um hope you enjoyed this episode of teach me please thanks still appreciate it thanks for listening to this week's episode of you have my interest remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player to find out more about how everlend can help educate and empower you to achieve your goals with finance and property just visit everlend.com.au forward slash podcast and book in a free discovery call.